Discerning Hearts presents In Search of the Still Point with Dr. Regis Martin. In this episode, Dr. Martin reflects on What Makes for a Good Man. Here is an image that has stayed with me for years. A camera zooms in, and I see a solitary old man standing high above Omaha Beach, surrounded by row upon row of graves marking the dead. He has come to pay tribute to someone special. Bending over the grave of Captain John Miller, he remembers the officer who led the effort to rescue him from behind enemy lines. Miller and most of his men would die trying to save him. It is the final scene from Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg's award-winning film from 1998, and perhaps the most riveting moment in the entire movie. The old man, we learn, is none other than James Francis Ryan, who, his family standing nearby, speaks to the shade of the soldier who saved his life. Every day I think of what you said to me that day on the bridge, Ryan says to the captain, and I've tried to live my life the best way that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that, at least in your eyes, I earned what all of you have done for me. Well, what had Captain Miller said to him? James, he told him as he lay dying, earn this, earn it. Getting up, Ryan then turns to his wife, needing to hear from her that he lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. You are, she tells him, and standing solemn and erect, he turns to salute the man whose sacrifice allowed him to grow old in the company of those he loves and to love him. It is against that standard of sacrifice that the question of the moral life becomes existentially urgent. What does it mean to live a good life? Is there a formula to fit every contingency, something the precise observance of which will entitle anyone to pronounce the meaning of his life as good and honorable, that it was worthwhile his having lived it, that he truly earned it? In the meditations of the Stoic emperor and philosopher Marcus Aurelius, there is this maxim, When you awaken with reluctance each morning, you are not to repine, for you are about to begin the work of a human being. Well, what does that mean, the work of a human being? It has certainly got to mean something more than not hitting the snooze button on first hearing the alarm go off. To live a life the best possible way one can, that has surely got something to do with virtue a word not much in circulation these days, unlike, say, virtue signaling, but which has everything to do with conforming the will to right reason in all circumstances. It is really a matter of respect, another old-fashioned word, of respect for reality, for the truth of what is, of never, as G.K. Chesterton would say, calling green grass gray. That is the only lie, he tells us, 
and to do so is to fall in with Lucifer, who was a liar from the beginning. But but respect also extends to others, whom we are to treat justly, and to ourselves, too, which requires that we discipline our appetite for pleasure, as well as our aversion to pain. We used to call these the cardinal virtues, meaning the hinge on which the whole moral life turns. They are the big four, in other words, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And not infrequently, as Saving Private Ryan makes heartbreakingly clear, they are exhibited in the grip of overpowering fear and danger when the threat of death is imminent and real. St. Augustine, in a lovely Latin phrase, called it ordo amoris, which is what happens when the affections are so governed by the good and the true that we give to things that love which is appropriate to them. A man will look after his lawnmower, intent on making it work, but surely not if he is a good man with the same sort of love and devotion he pays to his wife and family. Persons are not objects of use, but ends whom we are to reverence for their own sake. And not to know that is an admission of barbarism, which is what happens when standards of honor and decency are swept away for the sake of pleasure and convenience. And the ultimate source on which all of this depends is God, whom we must never leave out of the equation. In fact, as Henri de Lubac reminds us in one of the great works of the last century, the drama of atheist humanism, which he wrote during the dark days of the Nazi occupation of France, the decision to do so can never finally succeed. Atheist humanism was bound to end in bankruptcy, he tells us. Man is himself only because his face is illumined by a divine ray. I have quoted that text so often that I hardly need look it up, nor the illustration from the life of Constantine, which in my mind always ought to accompany it. He was the first of Rome's emperors to convert and soon after doing so he flat out forbade the branding of slaves. On what grounds? That because God himself became one of us, taking on the form of a slave, there is something sacred, sealed upon the flesh of all men. Here is the birthplace of the idea of imago dei, that each of us is made in the image of God. The Godhead is reflected in the slime of the earth, de Lubach comments, citing a 12th century text. Like the image in a mirror, if the fire disappears, the reflected gleam immediately goes out. For man, God is not only a norm imposed upon him, and by guiding him, lifting him up again, God is the absolute upon whom we depend. He is the magnet which draws us, the beyond that calls us, the eternal which provides us with the only atmosphere in which we can breathe. 
This is the story we see being played out before us, a world without God becoming a place no longer fit for men. When you kill God, or at the very least politely banish him to the margins of the cosmos, he will very soon disappear from the culture as well, followed not long after with a near total eclipse from human conscience, it having become a space we no longer wish to rent out to God, or even any sort of fixed or objective sense of reality. That, too, has become more and more an antique fixture, like Victorian lace, which has grown too brittle for use. C.S. Lewis warned us about this in The Abolition of Man, a book as profound and prophetic as any passage in De Lubac. The cardinal problem of human life, he writes, was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. But for the modern man, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to his own wishes. And the solution is a technique. Had that standard been applied when Captain Miller was given his orders to go find Private Ryan, he'd have refused. And poor Ryan might never have made it home nor would Miller have done his duty to uphold the moral law, leaving an example of virtue to inspire others to follow. None of us would know this, of course, the witness of courage and sacrifice never having made it to the screen. Thanks for listening. This is Regis Martin in Search of the Still Point. You've been listening to Dr. Regis Martin in Search of the Still Point. For more episodes in this series, visit DiscerningHearts.com or you can find it in our free Discerning Hearts app or on many other streaming platforms. Discerning Hearts is a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. To learn how you can support our mission, visit DiscerningHearts.com.